0: Psalm 36. A curiosco, curiosco psalm. How's that for a starter? Curiosco psalm. All right. What is that? Curiosco. Artists, do we have artists in the house? Do artists? Do you have a comment about the Italian term curiosco? Curio, as I understand it, is light. Scuro is darkness. And this artistic method, curiosco, has been used by centuries by painters, Da Vinci, Rembrandt, just to name two, where you have this brilliant contrast between light and darkness. And so what happens is you have a subject that's bathed in light and the light brings it out from the dark shadows of the painting. I've got a, a picture here. It can be used in portraits. It can be used in landscaping. And here you've got this brilliant light, this this glorious heavens. And I use this picture instead of maybe one of Rembrandt's pictures of uh, paintings of an individual or a portrait Because this one applies pretty directly to this psalm, Curiosco, where you've got this bright, brilliant light uh, in the middle of the mountains, highlighting the rolling clouds as they come in and casting shadows over the foreground and on the sides, bringing dimension to that painting, Curiosco. Curiosco. And it can be used in literary works too. You've got Dante who writes, um Inferno, Hell. He describes Heaven, Paradise, and, and Hell, Inferno, and in His Divine Comedy. John Milton uses it also when he has Paradise, Paradise Lost and Paradise Found. Little shout out to those literature teachers out there. Alright? So, this kind of, this kind of Artistic technique is something that we find David's using it right here in Psalm 36 and Psalm 36 you've got this This seemingly two disconnected sections here where you've got the beginning of the psalm is a discussion about The wickedness the fallenness the darkness of man of Humanity this is our condition Then then in the middle there, right around verse 6 or 5, you see that he turns and he, his attention turns and he's, all of a sudden he's talking about the glorious, steadfast love or mercy of God. And again, it's almost as if you have two different, two different passages, two different psalms, but this is the, the way that David puts them together to compare and to contrast the greatness of the distance and the difference between the two. Now, I want to read this here shortly. If you've got the Pew Bible, it's page 490. Um, but just before we we read it, um, just a couple comments. Uh, at the beginning, Psalm 36, it says, to the choir master. All right, that's cool. Okay, so we've got the director of the choir, Camilla, that would be you here, you know, with our choir, those who love to sing and those who participate or rather lead us in worship and singing um, or praise band. So this psalm is to be used in worship as we, as we look at the darkness of our condition and as we compare it with the glorious light of who God is and his great mercy and, he, and his love. It's something that causes worship. And it says, after the choir master, in my version here, of David. So David writes this psalm. All that goes into that. And I think you see a number of psalms here up through 40 something. You've got psalms of David now. This is the section of the psalms we're in. So, written by David, the servant of the Lord. And he knows what that servant of the Lord is. He serves God. I just will say here a comment that this Lord is written with that large capital L, lower O-R-D, smaller O-R-D, but still capital, if you notice. And you'll see it if it's not in your title. You may not have the superscript. It starts up in verse 5. You see this use of the spelling of the word Lord, capital L, smaller capital O, capital R, capital D, referencing the name of God, the personal name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. This is a covenantal name, a name that God uses when he enters covenant with his people, his promises. And so that name, you'll just notice, you see the beginning of the psalm, there's a reference to God. This is our G-O-D, God, you know. Um, but then when it starts talking about who God is, he's using this other term, Lord. And this is a term of, again, of covenant, of covenant promise and relationship with his chosen people. So it's just something to note as we go through the psalm. Um, and, and as we read, you've got three sections to this. The first, as I mentioned, is this darkness, this condition of man and his fallen state. Then pivots and turns, and you've got this focus on, on the glory of God, his steadfast love or his loving kindness or his mercy, and how amazing that is and how God meets needs. He provides all things. And then the psalm is wrapped up with a prayer. David, after that comparison, he's like, whoa, Lord. He cries out to the Lord in prayer. And that continues his worship here in this psalm. All right? So having introduced it in that way, look for these things as we read through it. So please stand for the reading of the Word of God. And I'll read Psalm 36. And it says this. To the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Verse 1. Transgression speaks to the wicked. By the way, this is the ESV version. And if you're in the CSB, there'll be some differences. Or if you have the, J- the King James, you'll see some differences. They're great differences. They highlight different meanings here. But this is the ESV. Uh, to the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Verse 1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we do see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There are evildoers, lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, come now uh, with your spirit and speak to us, Lord. Teach us from your word. Bless you. This time together and bless your name. Help us, Lord, to focus our eyes not on the things of this earth or the destruction that it lies there, but in you and in your glorious and loving uh, care. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Please be seated. Thank you. So, This psalm before us is, as I mentioned, this interesting description of these two opposites, which seem to have, at first glance, nothing in common. And you might wonder, why do we have both of these in the same text or the same psalm? And there are some that that take a look at that and they say, oh, well, obviously these are from two different scraps and the, the, the author didn't know what he was doing and he just, they got stuck together by accident and no, that's not the case and that's a lack of, a, like, lack of a confidence in the authority of God's word as written and preserved as he has done. David intentionally puts these two sections together. And so what we're going to do is start here in the first section, verses one through four, which talks about the transgressions of the wicked. Um, Some of you have titles in these, and some of those titles I've noticed say things like the wicked versus the steadfast love of the Lord. And that's a great way to describe it, great description. So here, we we come to verse 1, and we see the transgression. It says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in the heart. And... um, And I think that's an interesting way to put it. I never quite thought that sin or transgression would have a voice. I never really considered that before, Um, how real and how true this may be. We sit here as believers, and we listen to the Word of God every day. Or Sundays, as it's preached faithfully from the pulpit here, the Word of God and we fill our minds with that. But you know what David is saying here that transgressions speak. And in some versions I have the uh the CSB that you have there it actually uses the word oracle. Right? And, and this word oracle is a one-way discussion. It's, it's a, it's a declaration. And we, we use the word oracle often in terms related to prophets and prophecies. And you have Isaiah talking about the oracles of the Lord. And these oracles are authoritative. They are, um, they're one way. You listen and you receive. And so that word oracle has has been used in the translation of this when transgressions speak to the wicked almost as if the voice of the transgressions or sin is authoritative in 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 li- in our lives or in the lives of the wicked they listen and they believe it an oracle so um the reason, you know, one of the reasons I think David does this and he's, he writes this out is we're looking at this and we're going, oh, that's horrible. That's terrible because these guys are so wicked. But I think it's important that as we search our own hearts and as we go through this passage, we look at our hearts and we say, you know, is that oracle still there? Or is it my sin or his transgressions as it's speaking? And is, am I listening to that voice? Is that still there? Do I give it credence? And am I distracted by the the voice of transgression as it speaks deep within the heart? Uh, Romans 3.2, Paul is talking to the Jews and he, he uses this word oracle in relation to God. He says, to begin with, we're blessed in many ways. To begin with, the Jews are entrusted with the very oracles of God. And this is the type of speech that David here is referring to. So um, he, David wants us to understand that sin or transgression speaks directly to the heart of the sinner. And it's a mighty mighty persuasive, authoritative communication or voice. And he wants to understand that that, that has a direct connection within the heart. And the heart leaps and moves uh, because of that. And causes folks to follow. Now, once he breaks that news to us and says, look, sinners, you know, the wicked people, they have this voice that speaks directly to them. Verse 1, what is the message that is spoken? Well, the second half of the verse, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And um, that's an amazing way to put it. Um It is the root of of all sin would be that there is no fear of God before his eyes. They don't recognize God as an authority. And, And this oracle, this speech that's coming from transgressions or sin is saying, look, you know, God doesn't mean anything to us. Did God really say this? Is that something important for us? And some folks go so far and they say, oh, God does not exist. Or... Or they have a, maybe a, a not an accurate view of God. God exists, but, you know, He's not that angry over sin. He doesn't really care about sin too much. I can do something. God's not going to be worried. Sin is not that important, not that bad. But there's no fear of God. There's no fear of the oracles of God in their hearts or in their minds, before their eyes the eyes being the primary way that, that, that this is taken in. Um, Titus has this great description of the sinner there in his rebellion in Titus chapter 1. Deuteronomy ten twelve says, here's what Deuteronomy says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? And to keep the commandments and statues of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. We are required as people of the book, as people of the Lord, that we, we fear the Lord. It's reverence, yes. Um, but not entirely that. It's reverence. It's listening to him. It's, it's having the Lord God being that place of authority in our lives. And here it's not only that. It's also can be fear and dread, literal fear. Uh, There is a place for the fear of the Lord. We soft-pedal it as reverence, and yes, we absolutely have reverence for the Lord. Hebrews talks about the Lord as, as a consuming fire, pure and holy. And we can't lose sight of that either. But here there's no fear at all before their eyes. And we look at ourselves and we look at our hearts and say, have we been listening to this speech have we been listening to this oracle do we have a healthy reverent fear of the lord are we concerned about what his word says how we should live and what he is like and that's why we come here this morning is to take a look at this and have a little heads up about this um the fool says in in his heart there is no god psalm says i mean that's that's uh The first one that comes to my mind. Um, And uh, and so anyway, so now we go on a little bit further and um, we think, I wonder who he's writing to. It says the wicked in verse 1 and the wicked deep in his heart. So I'm glad that's not me and it's nice to put it aside and walk on to the next step here. But I have to caution you that this... Fear of the Lord is mentioned by Paul at the end of Romans chapter 3. When Paul is describing how, how we've sinned, how the world is, is fallen in sin and every single person has sinned, you know, he comes out and he uses this, a quote from this, this verse right here. Psalm 3 verse 10 says, as it is written, all right, this is Paul, New Testament. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. And I'm reading that and I'm going, ooh, I don't know how to get out of that one. I can't. It's describing me. No one understands. He's not saying no one except for Harris, you know, or no one except for maybe LBC. But no, he says no one understands. No one seeks the Lord. All have turned aside. Those are pretty complete statements. Together they have become worthless No one does good, not even one. So I have to say that that this condition in Psalm 36 is going to include me also without Christ, which comes in the second half. All have turned aside. So their throat is an open grave. This is Romans 3. Uh, Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. And then verse 18, There is no fear of God before their eyes. He jumps back to Psalm 36. Boom. So, David's not describing, you know, any one particular individual here. He's actually describing all of us. Um, He's describing every single individual, including, included along with the rest, when he speaks of these transgressions and the oracle deep within the heart, um, and that there is no fear before his eyes. He's describing us all. This is a universal passage. um, And... It describes the insanity of sin that is that is present in all our lives or hearts, rather, apart from the grace of God. And that's what David is saying here. He says, you know, as bad as this looks, he's got to include us apart from the grace of God. But this is the the chiaroscuro part. This darkness that he's focused on now... When you see this darkness and you pause and you take a look at your heart and you see what's in there and what it's capable of and what the oracles of the transgressions or sin are speaking to you, then the word of God and his grace and his gospel become all the more amazing. Just to move, a, move along here a little bit, uh, verse 2 So what happens? Well, again, the nature of the sinner, those who are listening to this oracle, those who are lost, um, they flatter themselves with their own eyes, telling lies, making stuff up, falsely saying how great they are, but probably falsely saying what? That his iniquity cannot be found out, verse 2, and then it won't be hated. Oh, I don't need to hate my sin actually kind of like this it's not that bad it's accept socially acceptable to do such and such but that flattery is false it's not true and and people listen to it the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit verse three he has ceased to act wisely and do good continuing now goes from from the thoughts from the words um To the inward thought, now to something external. To words of his mouth, coming out of his mouth, are are trouble and deceit. He ceases then to act wisely and do good. goes from thoughts and speech that he's hearing to something coming out of his mouth. And then his actions, he fails, he ceases to act wisely and do good. Verse 4, he continues, now he's doing stuff. He's plotting trouble while on his bed. Laying down, he sets himself in a way, he walks in a way that is not good. And then in all things, verse 4, he does not reject evil. This is darkness. This is a terrible place to be. starts from laying down in bed, he's thinking about it, next thing you know, he's walking in the way, and next thing you know, he can't reject any evil. He does not reject any evil, verse 4. Um, terrible place to be, the product of sin. Chioscuro, that's the dark part. That's actually the scuro part that we're talking about in our painting, the wicked part. Now, the strange thing here is, is, I guess we could just, what if he just ended that psalm right there, boom, at the end of verse four? You know, it'd be kind of a discouraging place to leave off. He could have just left that. But the strange thing is, he, he begins up verse 5 with the next phrase, Your steadfast love, O Lord. It's like a total 180. He goes from looking down in the gutter, the dirt, and it moves up and he's looking all of a sudden, he's, he's seeing the sunrise or he's seeing a brilliant, brilliant sun blinding him in his eyes there are so many illustrations that you can use for that this contrast between the light and the dark it's almost as if if you if you buy a diamond you know the jeweler comes out with this velvet this really black velvet piece of cloth and he puts a diamond on there and that dark cloth is what helps radiate the the light through that that brilliant diamond and it shows off all the different cuts and the different angles on the diamond, and the light just shines out through that. This is an amazing contrast that he has, and that's what he does. He sets the backdrop, and he makes us look at our condition before Christ. And, folks, we need to do that once in a while. It's easy to start thinking, wow, things are good. I'm, you know, I'm pretty awesome. I've got this. I can do this. And pride just jumps in there. And you're no longer, you're no longer fearing the Lord. And it's a dangerous place to be. And so David makes us focus on that in the first four voice verses here. And we must look at that. But then he turns around and he's immediately, he's looking here, the very next verse, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. And so he turns over now to, (coughs) to, to the characteristics of the Lord. And he has five descriptions, and he goes into some actions that the Lord uh has here. The steadfast love, O Lord, your steadfast love extends to the heavens. And so this term steadfast love, CSB is using faithful love. Um, New King James, loving kindness king james like we sang about the mercy of the lord this is a compound hebrew word that has this idea that encompasses all of these characteristics of the lord it's a difficult word to translate for to english because of the many things that it references the faithful eternal love kindness mercy uh, of the lord And he kicks us off in verse 5 with this term, your steadfast love, O Lord. And you'll see if you jump down then to verse 7, there's another bookmark, and he comes back to the steadfast love. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. So he's got this section, 5, 6, and 7, where he's focusing here, and he's telling us what is the Lord like? After describing us, in our horrible condition, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends up to the heavens. It's above everything. It goes over over all of creation, and His faithfulness to the clouds. And again, we mentioned uh, this term "Lord" with the capital L and the lower, the smaller capital O R D S that personal name for the lord for god as he revealed himself and limited himself made a covenant with man at several times throughout the old testament culminating with the the new covenant in christ this is the term he's using here lord and faith when he describes the faithfulness of the lord to the clouds he's saying the lord makes promises he's promised to noah Never to destroy the world again. Never destroy humanity by flood. He promised with the sign of the rainbow. And God is faithful to keep his, com- his covenant and his promises. And he, he's relating that here. The steadfastness of the lo- love of the Lord, the faithfulness of him from the heavens to the clouds. And then verse 8, his righteousness is like the mountains of God, uh, mountains of God, god's righteousness he is he is good he is right all the time and that rightness is like a mountain it cannot be moved it's intimidating probably looking up at those Al- the alps over in europe i don't know if you've seen those things shooting up out of the ground and you're like this breaking your neck looking up at them those mountains and he's describing the mountains of righteousness of the lord his faithful God. And he says, your judgments are like the great deep. He's using creation. I love this. Do you, do you think of this when you walk out in creation, when you're riding to work every day down Route 235, and you're seeing the bright, brilliant sun, you know, or a mountain somewhere or a deep lake? These things have been placed in creation to remind us of these attributes about our Lord and our God should come up to mind when we see it. The judgments, your judgments are like the great deep. They are deep, deep waters. The judgments. And these are judgments that God makes against men, humanity. They are correct, they are right, and they are wise, they are deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord, and God saves us. And animals, too. So you got animals in there. There's a shout-out, you know. Or there are there kittens in heaven, you know, cats, dogs? He, he mentions beasts, you know. God creates. He preserves all things. So we've been sitting here about an hour and a half today already. Have I been preaching for an hour and a half? No. Um, have you thought? How many times has your heart beat? since we've been sitting here? I don't know. A bunch. I'm not a nurse or a doctor. I don't know that stuff. How many times does your heart beat? How many times have you taken a breath? How many times have you breathed in and taken oxygen in and have it nourish your blood and then have it go back out again? Especially when you take one of those real big deep breaths and then you're yawning. I see the yawns out there. (coughs) Sometimes. How many times, just in the time we 've been sitting here, what is that that is the notice. this is an indication of the of the, persever- the the preservance of God. God protects us, He preserves us, He saves man and beast. This is what he does, moment by moment, and are we aware of that? Do we draw our eyes to that? Does it encourage us as we go through the day? Um, verse seven, how precious is your steadfast love, O God? And now, this part of verse 7, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings, up until verse 9, now we see God's great actions towards us. And is that amazing? an amazing thing? Is it not? I mean, he just got done verses 1 through 4 telling us how, how terrible we've been. How we listen to the or- oracles of transgression and sin in our lives, he's just gotten done telling us that that we don't fear God and and all this description, horrible description of our condition. And the next thing he says here, after the steadfast love of the Lord extends to the heaven, his faithfulness to the cr- clouds, his righteousness is like the mountain of God, and his judgments like the deep oceans. Then he's like. Then he says, "The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings." Wow. Is that not encouraging? And doesn't that make you want to run to the Lord, to lift up his name and to exalt him? What a blessing this is the gospel right here. The shadow of his wings. That that you know, that could bring a lot of different Images here, um, about that, where, you know, you've got, um, Christ used that image right there at the end of his ministry there when he's looking over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets. Whoa, that's like Psalm 36 verses 1 to 4, you know, kills prophets and stones those who are sent to, to her, to it. How often would I have gathered you, your children together? as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Even then, he's talking about Jerusalem that kills the prophets. He's saying, I would have gathered you together. I would have brought you in. I would have protected you, and I would have preserved you. What a great contrast. Kioskoro, that's the light, and that's the darkness between the two. Um, Psalm 91 comes to mind also about how how God preserves and protects us, as a as a as a as a chicken or as a hen covers the little ones uh, and preserves them. Um, not only that, but you've got after after that statement, you've got um, they feast verse eight on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delight. So now now not only that, but you've got great food. Do you guys like to eat? all right yeah great food great like grilled salmon or something you know if you're into really good food yeah you know i mean he's david's not shy about bringing in some of these things and it's something that we relate to in a big way good food you know because it's instead what are you doing you're eating dirt and you're eating rocks it's horrible and you're starving But he says, no, he says, he says, they, they feast on the abundance of your house. And so, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a side thing, but throughout church history, you don't, you don't usually have fasting on the Lord's day. The Lord's day is a feasting time. And sometimes it's literal and sometimes, you know, after church there's food, but it should always be spiritual and our worship service on a Sunday morning, when we come together corporately to worship, it's been called the um, the marketplace of the soul, where you feed for the week, and it's singing, it's it's music, it's lifting up the name of the Lord in praise and in song. It's reading of the word, it's the preaching of the word, it's giving, it's it's fellowship. This is the marketplace for the soul on a Sunday morning. But he 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 you know the Lord prepares a feast in His house, and we see this in um, in Psalm 23, don't we? He says in Psalm 23, "You prepare prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies." So it's not just that He's feeding us in Psalm 23; <laughs> it's like He's setting up this feast to feed us, and the enemies are all around complaining and attacking, and the Lord's like, yeah, I don't care. Not a thing. Doesn't bother me. We're going to feast, and we're going to feast on his goodness. What is his goodness? Steadfast love, extending to the heavens, faithfulness to the clouds. His righteousness is the mountains of God, his judgments like the deep, his salvation for men and, and animals and beasts. How precious is your steadfast love, O Lord. These are the things that we feast upon. And then he gives us rivers to drink from um, for our delight. Um, And then verse 9, for with you is the fountain of life. And in your light do we see light. How about that? I wonder who he's referring to there. I know who John, the Apostle John, thought about when he's reading Psalm 36 and then he starts his gospel, and the Apostle John writes his gospel. And what are his themes? His themes are the light of the world, the life. I am the, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Christ says. I'm the bread, the true bread. I, I listed a whole bunch of stuff when I was going through this, how John says, you know, in, the, in, the, in his, his gospel. Verse 8. All right, first of all, you got John 1 where it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you have life? Do you have light? Can you tell the difference when you have a cloudy day or it's been dark for a long time? Some folks really have a reaction to the, to the gray, smoky, you know, when we have those, the smoke coming down from Canada, you know, or we have clouds for days at a time. Sometimes it really affects people not having this brilliant light that God provides us every day in the form of the sun. It's not just nature, folks. This is the absolute representation of the glory of God in our spiritual lives, on our soul. God provides his light to be the light life of men. And then John 8, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, I am the light of the world. John 12, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Folks, Verses 1 to 4, darkness. Then verses 5 to 9, we've got this fountain of life and fountain of light. Amazing. All right. Um, It's time to wrap this one up. Um, The tragedy of all this is... That there are folks that reject the life and the light, the feasting, the provision, the protection of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Folks do reject. And that's what those first four, four verses describe. My question has to be, where are you? Where are you in all of this? Um, I am encouraged. It, you should have the view that I have up here. It's great. Being able to see everybody. Not everybody has the opportunity to preach the word on a Sunday morning. But I look out and I see all of you folks. And I'll tell you, is there darkness in this world? Is there darkness? Absolutely. And I see individuals here who have gone through some crazy things. It might be a knee replacement that blew out. It might be even something like wisdom teeth being re-take, I don't know what they do, take them out, twist them, you know? Some of you guys have been involved in relationships that have been shattered and have recovered or are recovering or are still bearing effects of that. Some of you have children that have just moved out of the house and are experiencing this great emptiness. Many of you have kids that have grown up and some of you have have people that you know very close that are not saved that are have rejected the Lord some of some folks here struggle with great anxiety debilitating and it's just to me it's fascinating to see how the Lord puts these things in our lives as believers and he says carry this carry this for a while there is evidence of darkness. This is a reminder of what we were like in verses one to four. This is something that that we live with while we're here on this earth. But there comes a day where there will be feasting and there will be uh, preservation, protection, living water. and we and and the amazing thing that I see here is where I see individuals that have gone through these things or are going through these things right now and they have the joy of the Lord. They have the confidence in knowing the steadfast love of the Lord in their lives. That is is an amazing blessing to see. And I think that's the light of the church. It's the light of Christ that shines through His church in this dark world. So there you have it. I will challenge you. I will close up with the prayer in verses uh, 10 to 12. David prays a prayer. And I'll finish up with that. Folks, I want to tell you, if you do not know the steadfast love of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his judgments, his righteousness, if you don't know that, you need to make sure you do. because without it what do you have you have starvation you have you have people that have no water you have you have people that, that die spiritually and they deceive themselves they tell themselves they flatter themselves by saying that that god doesn't care but god does he sees he hears and he understands um, at the end here, we're going to sing a song, and I would say this. If you want prayer, and it could be prayer for, me- for anything, come on down. If you want to join the church, come on down. But if you want to talk about the steadfast love of the Lord, come on down. We'll pray.